affects us. And the reason is because we care. I think, I think about Christianity. And really one of the hallmarks of Christianity is that we are people who by and large care about others. We genuinely care. We're concerned about, we're concerned about their plight here on planet Earth. We're concerned about those who are physically and mentally suffering. Most of all, however, we're concerned about those who are lost and dying in sin. We have the greatest message known to man, the gospel. The gospel has the ability to liberate lives, to change lives, to better lives. And so you think about how blessed we are. And because we have been blessed, we want to in turn be a blessing to others, don't we? And so today what we want to do is think about trying to be a blessing in the lives of other people. So I want to call your attention to Mark chapter 2. I want to begin our study by talking about the crowd. Now, pick up with me, if you would, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago. In verse 1, the Bible says, again, he entered Capernaum, talking about Jesus. Capernaum was located on the northwest tip of the Sea of Galilee. That would have been north of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus spent a lot of time in this area, preaching and teaching, and so in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is in Capernaum. And the text says, after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. First of all, we have Jesus present in this house. Imagine if you can hearing news that Jesus was in a home in Olive Branch. Would you try to get there? If Jesus were in town, would you want to be in His presence? Would you invite Him into your home? And if He were in your home, do you think other people would want to come and visit you? You think people would want to gather in your home to be around the Lord Jesus? Well, Jesus is present in this house. What we're going to find is a large number of people were present. The house was full. It was crowded. And there are a number of reasons for that. I think one reason is because don't you think many people understood that burdens are released in Jesus? Do you not think that there are a lot of folks in our world today when they think about Jesus, they think about somebody who has the ability to remove their burdens that their burdens can be relinquished or released in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You remember in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and the promise being, I'll give you rest. Are there not people in our world today that are suffering because of sin and unrighteousness? They feel the weight of sin. Have they made poor choices in life? Absolutely. There are some folks like Peter of whom it was written many years ago, they have forsaken the right way. They took a wrong turn in life as a result of that wrong turn. They're bearing the weight of sin, and Jesus has the ability to remove that burden, that weight. And, I, and then I think the second thing, not only are burdens released in Jesus, but blessings are found in Jesus. When you think about Jesus, one of the greatest 
thoughts that comes to mind is the fact that in Him we have real genuine blessings, don't we? Listen to Jesus, if you would, in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now Jesus is the giver of life, isn't He? As a matter of fact, Paul would say, the Lord is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. Jesus is the one who gives us physical life, yes. More importantly, though, He gives us spiritual life. He has the ability to give life, and also He has the ability to give liberty, doesn't He? You think about people who are bound up in sin. As Paul would say, they have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. They're imprisoned in a life of sin. And they want to escape. They want a way out. And to know that there is someone who can liberate. I think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 8 when He said, And you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. He would go on to say, If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. So here is Jesus present in this house. There are a large multitude of people in that house, packed as we would say. But then there's a second thing. We talk about Jesus being present in this house, but Jesus was also surrounded by people in this house. Listen again to what Mark says about this occasion. Many gathered together, so much or rather, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even the door. I mean, this house was slammed full of people. And they're present, no doubt, number one, they're present for the opportunity to examine Jesus. Let's just say Jesus happened to be in town. Would you, want, would you not want the opportunity to just get close to Jesus and examine Him, examine more about the person Jesus? I mean, you think about these people. Many of these people had heard about Jesus. No doubt some had, had seen Him on other occasions. They had heard about Him. They had seen Him. Some may have seen the great miracles that He had performed. They wanted to be in His presence. They had the opportunity to examine Jesus more fully. Can we not do the same today by reading His Word? Do you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus identified Himself as the bread of life. And John said, many of His disciples said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And many of those people went back, walked no more with Him. Jesus then asked the twelve, will you also go away? Peter spoke up and he said, in the long ago, he said, Lord, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They had, they had the opportunity to examine Jesus. They could look him over, examine him inside out, and then come to a conclusion. Not only did these people have the opportunity to examine Jesus, but they had the opportunity to evaluate the preaching of Jesus. Mark says that he preached the Word to them. Now you remember Peter in John chapter 6, the passage I mentioned a moment ago? When Jesus asked them, will you also go away? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
For you have the words of life eternal. They had put two and two together and realized that Jesus had the words of eternal life. So here are people, they're present in this house, they're listening to the Son of God preach and teach. And they could evaluate what they heard. You remember John said in John chapter 7, verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man, following his lesson on the mountain. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. The text tells us the people who had been assembled on that occasion, they recognized there was something special about Jesus. And why was that? Because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. They evaluated what they heard. That's what we're called upon to do today. Now, we talk about the crowd, but there's a second thing I want you to see. Secondly, there was a crisis. There was a crisis according to the text. First of all, there was a problem. The problem is... You've got a building full of people. You've got a house that is full. And you have a bedridden paralytic. You've got somebody who's paralyzed. He's on a bed. Can't walk. Can't take care of himself. Now, the text tells us that there were four men attending to him. The problem is Jesus is in the house. They can't get in the house and they need to get in the presence of Jesus. So what they do? They came up with a plan. Now you think about where we are today in our world. Would you say that there are people that you know personally that need to be in the presence of Jesus? Know anybody like that? Anybody you work with? Anybody you go to school with? Do you have a neighbor that that you know needs Jesus? What about, what about somebody that you see regularly at the bank or the grocery? Do they need Jesus? The problem is, sometimes folks don't know they need Him. There are many people that recognize they have an inherent need, that need is Jesus. Now, what the text tells us is, these guys develop a plan. They've got a plan of action. The plan is we're going to remove the roof and then we're going, we're going to let our friend down into the midst of Jesus. They're going to reach the one that we call the Redeemer. They're going to put him face to face with the Son of God. So here's the problem. The problem is, there are folks in our world, they need Christ. In order for us to take these people that need Christ and reach the Lord, we've got to have a plan, don't we? What's the old saying? If you don't have a plan, you've got to have a plan, don't you? If you aim at nothing, what will you hit? You'll hit nothing. So you've got to have a plan. You've got to develop a plan. So you think about people in your life that you know they need Jesus. So the question is, what kind of plan are you going to develop to get your friend, your neighbor, your employer, your employee, your classmate, 
your family member in the presence of Jesus. What are you going to do? Might cost you some money. Might cost you a meal. It's going to take, it's going to take some time out of your life. You're going to have to decide, okay, how can I connect the person that I love to Jesus? Because after all, isn't that what we're talking about? Connecting people? Now, we're talking about specifically caring enough to share or to bring someone to Jesus. We're people that care, aren't we? Don't we care? We're supposed to care. Do you think these fellows that had a friend that was paralyzed, you think they cared about him? Man, I think they cared a lot. I think they recognized that Jesus is in this house. And we've got a friend that is debilitated. And if we can only get him in the presence of Jesus, you know what's going to happen? His life's going to be changed, isn't it? So let's think in the third place about the cleansing. Now, first I want to talk about the critics. There are always going to be critics. And there are many of us, as much good as we try to accomplish in life, we're not above criticism, are we? Sometimes we're trying to do what's right, we're trying to do what's good and wholesome, and people criticize us for us for it. Jesus was all about doing what was right and good, but He had His critics. So, pick up with me if you would in verse 4. When they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where He was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But now look at verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Now, the scribes, these guys were the so-called experts in the law, weren't they? They had the ability to teach the law. Now, they recorded the law, but they also taught the law. And so they wanted to know, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now look at verse, note if you would, in verse 8. And immediately, when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, He said to them, now let me just pause there. These folks doubted the Lord Jesus, didn't they? I mean, they, they asked the question. They're thinking in their heart of hearts, what man, what person would speak blasphemies like that? I mean, after all, who has the ability to forgive sin but God? Now here we talk about the omniscience of the Lord. Now, there were times in the ministry of Jesus that He did not demonstrate His omniscience. On this occasion, He did, didn't He? He knew what they were thinking. And so, these guys are going to discover something about Jesus. Note what the text says. Jesus asked them, Why do you reason 
about these things in your heart. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? Now listen to him in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Wait a minute. Are you saying that you are, that you are God in the flesh? That's exactly right. Jesus is saying, I, the Son of God, have the ability, the power, the right, the authority to do what? To forgive sin. And so he goes on to say to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. Now, look if you would at verse 12. In verse 12, the text says, Immediately he arose, took up the bed, went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God. And here's what they said. We have never seen anything like this. Were they amazed? Yes, they were. Did these people discover something about the one who was in that house? Yes, they did. They came to understand that Jesus was something far different than mortal man. Now I think about the critics, but I want to back up and talk for just a minute about the cure. And there are a couple of thoughts here. Number one, Jesus has the ability. He has the power to cleanse a life. Now you just think about that for a minute. This guy was in need of physical help, wasn't he? More importantly though, he needed spiritual help, didn't he? So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Does the Lord Jesus have the ability or the power to cleanse us from sin today? Does he have that ability? What about somebody whose life is, as we would say, a train wreck. Their life is steeped in sin. I mean, they've been to some bad places in life, some dark places. Their life has been one problem after another. They have exemplified time and again the words of Solomon when he said the way of the transgressor is hard. They have lived, and they are living a hard life. Does Jesus have the ability to cleanse that person from sin and unrighteousness? You might be here today. And you're thinking in your mind right now, you know what, I've lived a hard life. And I've had this problem and that problem. My life's been in disarray. I'm overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. The weight of sin. I mean, there's no way the Lord would ever forgive me. You know, on Pentecost Day, there were people present, some of whom had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. And when they asked what they needed to do, Peter said, you need to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Saul of Tarsus identified himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. As a matter of fact, he identified himself as the chief of sinners. But he would say the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus.
So when, when the text tells us that Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus, after having seen the Lord on the road to Damascus, he said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I'm here to tell you today, the Lord can cleanse your life. Not only can He cleanse your life, He can change your life. Now you think about this guy. He enters the house, a paralytic, doesn't he? Let down on a bed, on a stretcher, into the midst of people. And what did Jesus do? He radically changed his life, didn't he? This guy goes in on a bed and he walks out. Is that not a changed life? Not only was there outward visible change, but there was also inward spiritual change, wasn't there? Because Jesus said, Son, your, your sins are forgiven you. He went on to say the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. This guy enjoyed a changed life. Do you think his life was forever changed? Does Jesus have the power, the ability to change your life right now? You might be a skeptic. And you might be saying, you know what, there's just no way he could change my life. No way he could radically alter the course that I'm on. I beg to differ. Paul said, and he wrote to the church at Corinth, and he wrote to people whose lives had been marred by sin and unrighteousness. And Paul said, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to him. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You mean to tell me I can have a changed life? That's exactly right. This guy's life was changed. Now you think about caring enough to bring someone to Jesus. This guy, do you think his, li do you think his life was enjoyable? Can you imagine being unable to walk? Unable to care for yourself? had the opportunity to talk to a friend just the other day who's in a wheelchair. Been in a wheelchair for nine months now. You know what he told me? He said, you know what? Living like this, not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. There are a lot of blessings that we have in this life and sometimes we take those blessings for granted. The ability to get up in the morning and to get out of bed, take a shower, put our own clothes on, tie our shoes, go to work, go to school. If we want to go to the gym and run and lift weights, we can do that. Why? Because we have that ability. This fella has lost that ability. This man was debilitated. He went into that house, a paralytic, and he came out walking. Changed life. Can he change your life? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. So, I want you to think about one person in your life, 
one person that you know. That one person needs Jesus. That's the problem. They need the Lord. What you've got to do is develop a plan, plan of action. Your goal is to take that person who needs Christ and bring them to Christ. You care enough to bring someone to Christ. Now, if all of us who are here today, members of the church, if all of us would do that, Think of, think of how many lives would be changed. Think about that. Lives would be changed because of our efforts. Because we care enough to bring somebody to Jesus. I hope and pray that you will, that you will develop a plan over the course of this year to reach out to one person and share the gospel with them. If you're here today, let's just say that you're here and you're not a Christian. And you need Jesus. We're here, we're here to serve you. What would you need to do? Do what they did on Pentecost Day. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were instructed to repent of their sins, to be baptized into Christ in so doing. They enjoyed remission, forgiveness of sins. God then added them to the church, Acts 2.47. That new birth gave them a new beginning. And it also gave them new blessings. If you're here today, and that's where you are, we encourage you to come to Christ. If you're here today, and maybe your life is a train wreck and you're a child of God and you want to come back home, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.